Welcome to Food and Loathing, where we are so ready to see the Golden Knights drink from the cup <laughs> that we're encouraging our listeners to drink from as many cups as possible this playoff season. That's right. What you put into it is your own business, <laughs> but we will try to offer you as many beverage options as possible whenever we can. <laughs> I'm your host, Al Mancini, reuniting the band this week. And that means I'm sitting here just outside the home of our producer, Mr. Rich Johnson, with both Rich and Samantha Samantha Gemini (laughs) Stevens. Sorry, here in person again. That's right. Rich, how the fuck are you? From our undisclosed location. I'm doing uh, well. We were having, uh, you know, we're out here on the patio, so there's a little wind. Bear with us on that. Yeah. It was nice and cloudy, and then I come out here, and the sun's now beating down on me, and I'll be sweating by the time we're done. It feels feels to me like a storm's blowing in. I wonder, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, from where I'm sitting. Anyway, as I mentioned, offthestrip.com food writer Samantha Gemini Stevens is also with us once again. Woo-hoo! No longer sick or contagious after uh, a recent bout with the Rona. How are you oh feeling? Oh my, my gosh, friend? so much better. I that was my first time having it. Surprise, surprise. I have a shitty immune system, so how I lasted this long, I can only say, is probably <laughs> vaccines and alcohol. It's probably why I didn't get it from you. I've already had it three times <laughs> and all the vaccines. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, much better. Thank you. I'm super happy to be back. We are so happy to have you back. And we do have a great show planned for everybody today, including a nice long sit-down interview with nightlife industry legend and the CEO of Carver Road Hospitality, Sean Christie. But first, let's get your tummies to grumbling and your mouths to a watering. It is time to talk about what we've been eating because nobody eats out as much as we do. And I, for one, have the waistline to Oy. Oh, please. <laughs> to kick things off, let's go to our COVID warrior, Gemini. Please tell me your taste buds are still yes. fully functioning. And if so, what have you been delighting them? Oh, with, my gosh. Well, you know, I traveled a lot a couple of weeks ago, and then it was because of that I brought home COVID. So I haven't been eating out and about, but I have been supporting local. And again, I know that people have issues with third-party delivery services. At this point, you can take those opinions and just go deal with it. They're out there. (laughs) People are using them. And while I was sick, they came in handy. Um, At one point, Chef Hammond Kashur, who we spoke to just a couple weeks ago with the Toddy Shop, was offering a mutton biryani with raita and papadam. So we hopped on that. And since I was sick, I took advantage of his very kind and personal delivery offer. So I don't, this isn't open to all This of was us. not open yeah, to everybody. Yeah. I want to make sure that's clear. Porch <laughs> drop for the win. Um, and yay, like I just said, I did not lose my sense of smell and taste, so I could taste all of it. He used whole spices, mutton on the bone, raisins, all kinds of goodness. It showed in the food just how much he loves his childhood home and cuisine. The papadam was insanely light and impossibly thin and crispy, and how it traveled in a little paper bag to my house, I don't know. The raita was different in that it had larger pieces of onion and herbs and the like, Um, but altogether a few delicious meals because I think I turned it into three different meals. There was that much food. Uh, One morning I popped in a soft-boiled egg, and there you go. I had the perfect breakfast. If I remember correctly, it was a $45 offer. Plus, I tipped him and added a delivery charge, even though he didn't ask. I was grateful. Watch his socials at the Six Pack Chef. That's the number Six Pack Chef. 
and at the Toddy Shop USA. He's still doing those chicken pop-ups twice a month that we've talked about, but he's also got something different coming up as well, and that's on May 16th at Vegas Test Kitchen. Tickets at secretburger.com. So these other pop-ups that Hamant is doing, um, are they out of that same space? They are not. No, the one is going to be at Vegas Test Kitchen. Right, right. I meant the one. Oh, the chicken ones. Yep, the chicken ones are still happening at the parlor downtown um, off of 6th Street. I've been hearing good things about the parlor. It's interesting. Yeah, they have breakfast and coffees and teas and things like that. They're mostly open earlier in the day. Um, But as they work on adding things to their repertoire, they're going to be adding more dinners and club type stuff and cocktails and all kinds of things. So we're keeping an eye out on that for sure. Um, I also ordered in from Hong Kong Garden. It's probably one of my favorite dim sum shops in town off of uh, Spring Mountain. And I got my favorite rich and delicious abalone and shredded chicken congee with a side of braised beef tendon. They have a huge dim sum menu also on offer via these ordering third party sites um, with stuff the average diner has probably never heard of. And I love it. Never had a bad meal there. I got a 32-ounce deli container of the congee for $17 and about 8 ounces, I think, of the tendon for about $8 before tax and delivery and all that jazz. And then, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you're yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's more like Ta- Taking out a second jazz, mortgage on the house yeah. for the week I was sick. Um, I also ordered some smoothies and juices from Squally's. He's got two locations, one at Wallapai and Russell and another at South Rainbow and Warm Springs. I've been in there once before in person, and I loved some of the stuff I had there. So I ordered what they call the Choco PB Shake, already made with peanut butter, banana, cacao, and chocolate protein, which I had made with almond milk, almonds, hemp seeds, and cacao nibs. We also ordered the Energizer Bunny Juice. I'll just ring through these quickly. Green apple, cucumber, ginger, mint, pineapple, and the Forever Young Juice. Red apple, pineapple, cucumber, turmeric, ginger, red bell, and black pepper. Also delicious. The latter having a sort of a savory vibe that I actually really liked a lot. It came came away from some of those overly sugary juices you get from a lot of places that do this. Um, with add-ons, our smoothies and juices were nine fifty to thirteen bucks a pop before the taxes and delivery. And I want to make a note. I don't think I mentioned previously. Keep in mind when you are using these services. Items are often priced individually a bit more than in-store prices to cover the cost because they are paying for these third-party services. It's not just your service charges. Yeah. Um, I love spicy, so I got a Spring Mountain Hot Chicken Sando from Half Bird Chicken and Beer. I had one of those this week, too. Oh, so good. <laughs> Fucking So excellent. good. That bread just stays with the sandwich. It doesn't fall apart on you, which is part of the best part. I love the spicy, spicy chicken patty, but I also, or, or cut of chicken, it's not a weird patty. Um, but I love their green curry and their ginger scallion, so I get that and put it all together. Um, we also got some tingling chicken salad, which I has that, that in my Sichuan home. ma. Yeah, I had some last night until John ate it, you know, which is good. Um, I think for everything, for a sandwich and a salad, it was only $25. And again, that included taxes, delivery tips, fees, all that. I have one more from Bulldoggies, but I'm going to save that one for the news because I do believe it is news. For all my fellow <laughs> breakfast food loving diners out there, because I do love me some breakfast food. If so. you call it news, it's news. Man. I we think don't it have is. Any yeah. rules here. <laughs> Fuck it. Rich, what about you, man? Where oh, have man. you been eating? It is the fast food hat trick for oh, me this week. You know, I'm I'm, I'm going to lean into what appears to be my role in this <laughs> little dog and pony show. Uh, as we record this, I'm still as feeling... As we talk about how we need to cut back on time mm. at the top of the yeah, show, yeah, yeah, how many yeah. times can we talk about fucking Arby's? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm feeling reasonably full right now. Good effects of a trip to a Mexican place I'd never been to called Rio Cafe. 
There are a few of those around the valley. It's not uh, Roberto's or Taco Bell kind of Mexican. It's more like Chipotle and Baja Fresh. You move order, you go down the assembly line, customize your burrito, enchilada, taco, tostado, quesadilla, nacho. I had a chicken burrito done enchilada style, covered in sauces and cheese, then put under one of those Domino-style conveyor belt broilers. Yeah. Very nice. I went maybe a little too mild on the sauce. I, sh- I fixed that quickly with a bottle of Frank's Red Hot that was nearby. And I will I will do Rio again. Always better to go too mild than too hot, man. Absolutely. Yeah. You, can always, fix it. you can always Red add to it, but you yeah, can't yeah. take it away. <laughs> I finally, after driving by it for two plus years now, went to a Cup Bop which is next to the Chick-fil-A, yeah. Charleston and Fort Apache. I got a story about that, but I want to hear your Yeah, your It's a fast food take on bibimbap, the often overlooked Korean dish that takes the far back seat to hot pots and bulgogi. This is a cup of rice, some rice noodles, cabbage, your choice of meat, some sauce. I went with a chicken and beef combo, a sauce that was probably a little too hot. They have you know, one to 10, and I went to six, and that was nice and spicy, but it the other stuff kind of got lost, the, the the meats. Yeah. And so I would go a little milder next time. They loaded on a couple of goises for the first time, or they call them mandu, deep fried pot stickers. Mm-hmm. So not a lot of sticking to the pot, sticking to the oil. <laughs> uh, missing, of course, for uh, your fast food consideration, an egg on yes. top of a classic bibimbap. Uh, would, would have been nice, but I understand that you just can't sure. do that in that situation. It's worth a return trip. I love me some bibimbap, but yeah. I got to say, man, I, I'm so turned off to this place just because they were under me for a half a season at T-Mobile Arena. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, like, in the third period when they dumped that fucking cabbage. Oh, like, no. All you could smell in Section 104 was foul-ass dumped yeah. cabbage. Oh, and thank God I got Forte sausage under me now. Yes. A little bit of a sausage <laughs> fest in my section. That. But, oh, that was horrible. <laughs> and I'm sure they're great in their store. I don't know. Actually. Yeah. I have no idea if they're know. great in their store. But, um, the little yeah. hospitality remember, reminded me of the... Uh, the southeastern chain called Moe's, which is another sort of Chipotle thing. And every time you walk in, welcome to Moe's, welcome to Moe's, welcome oh, to Moe's. And they did that kind of first time. Okay. <laughs> you got to do what they tell you at corporate. Um, <laughs> and in, uh, you know, talking about taking one for the team, I decided in, in this whole fast food thing, I should start revisiting some of the national chains I haven't okay, been to for I a while. I do want to go on the record as saying that I will n- not have it blamed on me or this podcast that you're going and eating at these places. <laughs> the idea was you go and eat at them anyway, so you might as well yeah. talk about them. Well, but if you're making extra trips to fast food just to have shit to talk about here, let me tell you, we've gone way the fuck off the track there, man. All right, back to you. you know, uh, I have decided to start with Arby's. I went to the one up on Centennial Hills. It's on Durango, just north of the 215. I got the signature Arby's chafe beef and cheese. And to be kind, it was fuck awful. (laughs) I thought maybe the thing had gone off. But, you know, I didn't suffer any bad effects. It was just a really bad tasting sandwich. Yeah, It's fast food. Well, that's well, uh, there's good fast food here and there. I love me a Burger King Whopper with a little extra mayo. I like a spicy chicken sandwich from Jack in the Box. Yeah, yeah. KFC right out of the, the oil. I don't, yeah. even keep, I don't even need the bread. Just How give me the lettuce and all the stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, the, the Arby's I'm classic, kidding. beef and cheese. No, sir. I don't like it. Uh, going forward, I will look to sample more national chains, the regional small ones that have outposts here in the valley, like, uh, you know, Rio Cafe. And the one-off individuals. So if you have any ideas for things like that. I think that's a great idea. Uh, 
shoot me a thing. I will uh, I will have the answers every week, and I will show my work. Because there are plenty of like fast food and, like you said, fast casuals that are kind of one-offs, that are local, yeah. that are... That are, or at least somewhat local. Maybe they're just in the southwest yeah. or something. The Black and Blue Cafe, and uh, not far up the road. The and I can't think of the name of it. All of a sudden, the the, the cheesesteak joint there on Rainbow. No, uh, Pops. 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 Yeah. yeah. Pops. Oh, yeah. good Pops stuff. is worth right, but, it. Yeah. I mean, here's the deal. I, I've got no problem with talking about fast casual restaurants. I just think if there's somebody out there that needs to hear your review of an Arby's to decide if they like <laughs> Arby's or not. <laughs> But I don't know where they've been fucking hiding. I what see desert where the they've been on. Okay. And I'm just not sure what yeah. we're bringing to the table with RB sucks. It's not late breaking news. RB right. sucks. So, so no sponsorship from Arby's. If they want to give me money, man. They, I'll take it. And I will say Arby's. And I'll omit the I'll part read, that I'll says read sucks. the liners, yeah. There you go. Uh, that brings us to me. So I'm going to start off with a fantastic press dinner thrown by James Beard award winning. Chef Sean McLean at his phenomenal Sahara restaurant, Bala Italian Soul. Yeah, I'm piling on these superlatives oh, here. Yeah. I fucking I love that. this place. Regular listeners already know that I'm, I'm a big fan. One of the many reasons I dig it is um, they're always updating the menu to embrace seasonal ingredients. And, you know, a lot I'm of higher-end restaurants yeah. do that. But um, this is actually a decent price point, but you're still getting that, that level of attention to awesome. detail. So I'm digging it. Um, this meal showed off some of the latest additions as well as some old classics, if you can call anything a classic from a restaurant that's only been around a year or right. less. Um, <laughs> but still, it's a classic to me. Um, my personal favorite from this one was... Um, a fantastic roasted artichoke, which you'll hear about mm. shortly. Um, some spicy lamb sausage with almonds, charred eggplant, snap peas, and mint. There was a new rigatoni preparation that I really dug with red pepper, shrimp, and toasted garlic. And these cute little rolled lasagnas with um, paper-thin pastas and kind of rolled up. Almost looked like a cinnamon bun looking. Oh, down. okay. Whoa. They, they brought like six out. To the Vertical instead of horizontal. Thing, yeah. You know I mean? so when you would stare down at them and we'd all you take our own pinwheel. one out, you'd see the pinwheel and it all kind of looks. Now, I don't know when you order it yourself how it comes to the table because this was a group meal, but um, it was pretty cool. And anyway, I, I dug that. I love the idea. And that was made with um, cheese and bolognese sauce. After the meal, I joined Chef Sean McLean in the kitchen to chat a bit about um, what he's doing these days. Here's what he had to say. This time of year is definitely one of my favorites. Um, going into spring, we have so much access to Southern California, small farms, uh, early spring uh, out here. And so, you know, every week brings something cool. Uh, the markets at our disposal, foragers, um, and so I think it's just a really exciting time to start to just kind of incorporate that food into our cooking, uh, into the pastas, toppings for pizzas, uh, garnishes for meats and proteins. Uh, but it's about, you know, just keeping it real, um, keeping it fresh, um, and then just kind of adding layers and, and, and putting on, you know, just the ball of touch to that on top of it. But, um, you know, change is always a good thing. So talk about a couple of the new dishes that you brought out. Um, love the artichokes. Uh, artichokes is a great springtime find. Um, you know, we played around with a few different versions. Uh, the one we kind of finalized was like a crispy. So we cook the artichokes twice, braise them first, uh, really quickly flash fry them at the end just to get them nice and crispy. A little lemon aioli, a little pan sauce. It's got garlic and parsley. Uh, extra virgin olive oil, a little bit of butter. Um, and then it's just super light after that. Um, fresh mint, fresh arugula, uh, lemon zest, uh, fresh Parmesan. 
Um, so really kind of keeping the integrity of the artichokes. Nice, fresh, like just bright flavors on it. Um, but just done just a little bit different, a little left to center. Uh, but, you know, if you look at it on paper, artichokes, lemon, you know, arugula, things that you're, you're super accustomed to, but just kind of how we put it together is a little bit different. Um, what else? I mean, I love the rigatoni with shrimp, you know, handmade rigatoni, uh, tomato pasta uh, made here, uh, made every day. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, a straightforward wine. Um, we add a little bit of the uh, green garlic uh, for the spring, uh, shrimp, uh, leeks, uh, fennel pollen. So just try to kind of layer those, those spring flavors in there uh, and just, just kind of round it out with a touch of cream, some roasted uh, peppers. Um, but, you know, kind of looks rich, feels rich, but I think it eats actually pretty light uh, for all those flavors. I had another media dinner, this one at the brand spanking new cathedral. That's how I pronounce it. That's how they tell me to pronounce it. There's a lot of accents over There's there. There's a lot out when there. When you see the sign. Cathedrale. <laughs> but oh, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. fucking cathedral. It's in Aria. This is a Tao group restaurant in the space that once housed, of all sage. places, Sean McLean's Sage. That. So coming full circle here from the previous bit. Oh. Um the room has had a really gorgeous makeover, cavernous um, chain ceilings, wow. and um, dark, sexy vibe. Oh, S&M restaurant. Yeah, I mean, it, could, it <laughs> could be. It would work that way. Um, I don't think that's what they're going for, but I think they're going for much more of a sexy, <laughs> um, yeah, more more restrained. Well, not I that see. restraint might be the wrong word to use. I'm going <laughs> off into tangent. Rich, you lead me off into tangents. Cathedral, let's get back. My big takeaways from the menu. There are a lot of dishes and a I'm sorry, there are a lot of dishes that went heavy on caviar as an add-on. And then there were also a lot of vegetable-forward dishes. So um, you could pig out here without feeling really stuffed if you're ordering a lot of those veggie dishes and a lot of the grilled dishes. They add caviar, though, to everything. Our first course had some crudos and then a massive place, plate of oysters with caviar lopped right onto each oyster there. There was a martini served in a block of ice accompanied by a spoonful of oh, caviar. excuse me, I'm leaving now to go over there. Uh, it was nice. And then there's what I hope, well, honestly hope this is going to become their signature item. Jim Bagley was there with me at this meal, and he was swearing, he was just telling the chef that he has to give everyone this item. Like, yeah. You know, whether they order it or not, just put another bill and send it to them. He loved it so much. And this is their omelet. But man, what a decadent omelet, topped with potato chips and caviar. So the omelet was made just with a ton of fucking butter and the cheese and all that shit. And then, you know, right on top, a bunch of potato chips sprinkled and then a big old dollop of caviar. Uh, just so fucking good. I, it was weird as hell, but I really, really dug it. Um, other standouts include grilled artichokes. It's second night in a row that I did artichokes. Some grilled hen, hen of the woods mushrooms and some grilled bronzino with some ex And also, what? yeah, so those were a bunch of grilled things. Also, some excellent dry-aged ribeye with a sauce verde. Nice. So, so those were my high points from that one. I hit two pools. I, I, I do like Cathedral, man. I didn't go to the party, by the way, on yeah. Saturday with um, Marky Mark and everything. Oh, I right. just I'd already been Cathedraled the night before. Yeah. And, in a weird move, they rescinded my plus one at the last minute, oh. so I didn't want to go out with Sue two nights in a row, which is fine. That just means it was a totally packed party. Yeah. And they were just trying to, you know, get more people in yeah, there. Yeah, of so course. Which I said, I was there the night before, man. I'll, I'll pass on it. I'll make yeah, room. I have been there. I'll make room for the people <laughs> who haven't been there, like I have, who didn't get fed and stuffed to the gills by you guys. It's okay. You can give Marky Marks tequila to somebody else. That's right. I'll, I'll live. I'll live with the caviar. 
I got the better side of that one. I think so. <laughs> I hit two pools this weekend. Checking out the pond at Green Valley Ranch on Saturday. Had a little bit of hummus, some sushi, some sliders, some tacos. Then on Sunday, attended a little party at Laguna Pool House and Kitchen in Palm's Place. Nice. And this place is incredibly near to my heart because this used to be yeah. Simon Kitchen, where the late Carrie Simon held court for a Sunday pajama party brunch. I miss those. Was, it, man, it was honestly the epitome <laughs> of Vegas cool from around 2009-ish to about 2013-ish. Yep. Um, but So based on that, bravo to the new team for making a 25000 Dollar donation to fight the disease that took uh, Perry from us. Multiple systems atrophy. They did a big giant check presentation yeah. at this party that I was at. So that was cool. But of course, man, this is a new era for the space. I don't want to get only bogged down in its history. You know, it is a great space and they've got great people over there right now, um, including Chef Luke Palladino. So I spoke with him about some of the things that are going on over there, starting with the brunch. We're the only space in the Palms complex that is doing brunch currently. So there's an attraction. I think the pool and the natural light and the beauty of the space with all the plants in our redesign lends to uh, a great daytime feel. Uh, so what we're doing, we're launching in a couple of weeks. We're calling it we're, work. We're a term we're working with Soul Sundays, where we're doing it's all vinyl. We have an all vinyl DJ with old school hip hop and funk. Wow, is the programming. We have special, big, large format brunch platters for parties as well that are very unique. And you were just telling me you've got a Friday night event going on here as well. We do. So Fridays we have rock and roll, sushi, and karaoke. And we do that from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. And we have uh, two sushi chefs here. We're doing our sushi menu, uh, sashimi nigiri rolls, plus our, our normal menu at the same time. And it's been a, a huge success. So for those who may not have ever been here before, I mean, obviously people may not have been to Laguna before, but some of us have been in this room before it was Laguna. Of course. But for those who haven't, could you explain what, you, what the feel is like here and also what the, what the cuisine is like? Yeah. So the cuisine is global, we say, and it fits a little bit. We have 600 rooms here. So we're also servicing in-room delivery for 600 rooms. We do breakfast, lunch, brunch, dinner, late night. So with that, and the pool, so with that, we need a variety of different foods to suit the guests. And for people, the goal is to get people to eat here for more than one period, meal period. And that ties in with our design. We wanted the restaurant to be just as beautiful in the daytime, yet take on another look and feel just as equally as beautiful in the nighttime as well. And I think we've achieved that. That's what we wanted to do. And finally, Sue and I had dinner last night at Gaetano's oh, Ristorante on Eastern Avenue in Henderson. Um, we've spoken to owner Nick Palmieri on this show before. He is the second generation mm -hmm. chef and owner of this place, which has really become a Henderson institution after over the past like 21 or so years. Yeah. Uh, it's listed on Neon Feast's list of top off-strip Italian spots. Uh, there you'll find a quote from me about it and a mention that it's the favorite Italian spot of Metro Pizza's Chris Decker. Um, Nick and his wife Sarah were there last night when I dined there. He was in the kitchen. She was up front. And everything was great, exactly as I'd expect. Highlights for me included the uh, mozzarella sticks, which are stuffed oh. with pistachio oh, pesto. Yeah. Yeah, um, baby. Yeah, and they do them themselves, and they're just gorgeous. Yeah, really good. Um, I had some super garlicky scampi, and I can never get enough garlic, yeah. so these hit the spot. Um, some large green-lipped mussels in a wonderful red broth that was great to sop up with the bread. Yes. Um, and then we had a truly amazing pasta sampler with a wide variety of pastas. I think he brought four of them out to us, um, including my favorites, the veal 
veal and porcini ravioli in yeah. pea prosciutto cream sauce, as well as, man, some really simple penne in one of the ve- best vodka sauces I've had in a long time. Osobuco also, man, uh, falling off the bone and very, uh, very tasty. I need to go more often because every time I'm there, I have an amazing meal. It's always the best hospitality. You feel like you're at home. Nana's there. Like, yeah, Gaetano's yep. is the place to be, especially in that part of town. Oh, man. You had me at Osobuco. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up in the news. Specialties, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Coming up in the news, a bunch of Cinco de Mayo celebrations as well as a Iron Chef dinner. <laughs> This folded up on me. Uh, But first, Al sits down with Carver Road Hospitality, Sean Christie. This is Food and Loathing. You want more? Oh, we got more. Find me every Thursday morning around 8, 10 a.m. on The Club, AM 670, KMZQ. And on TV, you'll find me Fridays around 8.30 a.m. on Wake Up with the CW. And the Neon Feast updates happened all week long on the highway radio stations. That's The Vibe, The Drive, and Highway Country. All three are all over your FM dial. So I am here for this segment with Sean Christie. I think it's safe to say a true legend of the Las Vegas nightlife scene. And um, yeah, a man who has really helped form form the the vibe of what it means to go out in this city for those of you who don't know who he is quick rundown most recently mgm resorts international he was the president of events and nightlife over there worked with um park mgm a lot of the venues that came into park mgm were his responsibility also mayfair supper club but bellagio was something that he spearheaded before that win las vegas and that's where i say nightlife legend i mean he from going from the opening of blush you went on to vp of operations coo executive vp of business development. Um, You were really instrumental in opening Encore Beach Club and all that stuff. Am I getting this right, Sean? Yeah, I've been in town a while, as you said. And uh, my main focus over the years has been nightlife and nightclubs. Always had kind of restaurants as part of that, um, you know, in the way that people wanted to go out um, and as a function of going out. And, you know, I grew up in restaurants. Um, My father uh, had my family actually had restaurants, so I've always had that in my DNA. And then in the latter stage of my life, now in my uh, late forties, kind of wanted to pivot, uh, you know, a lot out of the nightlife and head more into a well-rounded hospitality, if you will. Um, yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that your forties is the later stage of life, since I'm in my fifties, man. <laughs> that makes me feel like I'm just going to die soon or something. I used to be the young guy, so now yeah. I'm not. So was that was it a process of aging? And of course, now you're running Carver Road Hospitality, which has made an incredible uh, impact on the scene in a very short time. But for you to leave kind of nightlife and go into doing a more restaurant focused thing, was that just a function of of age and, you know, wanting to hang out in a more refrained um, atmosphere? Or were you not liking where nightlife was going? Um, Always you know, love nightlife, still do. We In Salt Lake City, we've got a flanker that actually, because it was so large, it's 18,000 square feet, that we ripped out a bowling alley and turned it into what I'll call a sporting club. I kind of took the cue from Stadium Swim, if you will, in the sense that how they took a model of a beach club, added a big screen, and make, made it sports-centric. And so we did that there. Um, you know, what we're doing in Las Vegas does not have that component, but does have the big screen. And in New York City, we've got a rooftop 
that has a nightlife component to it. But I really, it's just, I, I feel like as a company, we're concept um, builders. And so I'm somewhat indifferent in terms of what the concepts are, other than it has to be a place I would go to. We won't do anything that is just to make a buck at all. We've turned down plenty of deals that um, we've turned down plenty of deals that are not in our DNA. Which again, rule of thumb is: is would we attend it? Would we go to it? And you know, the nightlife business, which you know, I've been a part of my whole life, is much more at the moment, especially in Las Vegas, talent driven. And whereas it doesn't necessarily appeal to me because I'm not that consumer anymore. Although here and there I find myself because you, we live in Las Vegas. Um, but it doesn't quite appeal to me as much. Um, and I feel like there's a lot more longevity. I heard a person say once that a nightclub can grow up to be a teenager, you know, but it can never grow up to be an adult. Whereas a restaurant, you know, once you go through its formative years can grow up to be that adult and it doesn't need every single minute of your life attention. So it, 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 it appeals to me and I think us from a longe- longevity perspective more. Well, I want to get into what you're, ta- you know, what you're doing on the restaurant front. But since I have access to you, I think a lot of people would like to know what your thoughts are on a lot of the scenes that you kind of helped create in this town. You were really instrumental in making Vegas an EDM capital, I think, in this world, especially when you were at Wynn, the work that you did over there. Um, and the superstar DJs making a ton of money in Las Vegas. I mean, you were there at the height of that. I believe Billboard named you one of the most influential executives in dance music in, I think, 2012, if I'm remembering correctly. And then you kind of launched this whole supper club vibe that has swept Las Vegas since the um, pandemic when you opened Mayfair Supper Club just before the pandemic. When you look at those two scenes, um, and I know they're two separate scenes, but how do you feel about the health of them right now? Do you think, have we passed the time of the EDM phase of Las Vegas, or is that still going strong? And how do you feel about the proliferation of all these supper clubs? I feel like the supper clubs are the new nightclub in the sense that there's a group of people like myself that are getting into their 40s, 50s, or even 60s, where it's trendy enough for young people to want to go and early enough and has have more mature feelings where you know it can be a night out for the people who don't feel like waiting for a DJ to go on at 1.30 in the morning and leaving at 3.30. And I, I truly believe that every resort in Las Vegas will have a supper club in the next five years. It was the same way that I felt when, you know, was watching, um, you know, participate in the opening of Bear Pool. Actually did as our first kind of beach club project uh, when I had LVNG, Las Vegas Nightlife Group, Daydream with the M Resort, which now is part of their main pool. And then that led to Steve Wynn asking me if I wanted to, you know, kind of uh, participate in opening Encore Beach Club. Uh, So I feel like each hotel will have a supper club in it. And people are going to have to have their different spins on it. I mean, Mayfair was the inspiration from that. When Ari Kostradi and I went to London, we met with Martin Brodnitsky. He had never been to Leo and Ibiza. You know, we went there and I kind of said to him, hey, man, because really him and I did it together, uh, said, I want to have this format, which is a little bit more of a cabaret versus what you'll see at a place like Delilah Supper Club, um, you know, 
that has a retro feel, even though, you know, Mayfair has that as well. And then in terms of the nightlife and the EDM, actually, Coachella this year closed, I, I think, two of the nights with EDM acts. Uh, Chris Lake, Skrillex, and Fred again had a massive performance. And Calvin Harris also had a big performance at Coachella this year, and they headlined. And so I actually don't think EDM is going anywhere. I, I actually would argue that it's it continues to grow with the proliferation of access to music and access to um, being able to see people, um, you know, and on live streams and all the different platforms where you have access to artists. I actually think it continues to grow. I feel like when when you brought Encore Beach Club into Win and actually everything that you did at Win, I feel like that was kind of a turning point. I think there were a lot of people who thought Steve Wynn would never embrace that kind of thing, and that was the the upscale resort. And you know, there there have been a few turning points in nightlife in Las Vegas, obviously, but I think that it becoming popular at Win and becoming a major money maker for Win really said like this is everywhere. This is not something that is you know only in a couple select places. Um, was that how did that come about? You know, and was that a hard sell to convince Win to to embrace that culture? Yeah. So we had Blush, um, which was we called the boutique nightclub. It's really an ultra lounge. I just got tired of hearing the word ultra lounge, so wanted to put a different phrase on it. And at the tail end of Blush, you know, EDM had started bubbling. My background in Boston was working in large scale nightclubs and we booked talent from all over the world. So in the mid to late 90s, and we were really kind of, um, you know, somewhat ahead of our time and worked with all these great people, including who my boss at that time was, Andy Massey, who gave my first club, uh, club job and brought me to Las Vegas. And so we started playing around with the idea of talent at Blush, which again was a small venue. So we did Cascade on Halloween of 2000 and maybe it was nine, had a huge draw. You know, we paid him obviously a fraction of what he makes now. We did LMFAO, uh, you know, for my birthday, I forget which one. Uh, we had Flo Rida and started really thinking about programming. So when Steve approached me about doing Encore Beach Club as from a company perspective, I actually went to my longtime friend, one of my best friends in town, Shecky Green, his name is Jonathan Schechter, and he's founder of The Source magazine. It's always been kind of a, a great friend, uh, you know, impeccable taste as it relates to all music, but has always been someone who I've been able to have as a sounding board. And, you know, we were looking and I showed him this 60,000, 55,000 square foot floor plan. And I said to him, how do you think, you know, I, you know, we, we could fill it because he actually started then working uh, with us. And he said, well, you, got, you have to do large scale programming. And so <clears throat> actually he, because he's a very close relationship with Eminem, we got Eminem to do the, to commit to doing the opening party of Surrender. Steve Wynn turned us down and Eminem hadn't performed in a, a long time. And so it was kind of, you know, it was really disappointing. But then as we pivoted, um, I went to Andrew Pascal, who was the president at that time. And I said, I talked to Cascade and his manager at the time, uh, Stephanie LaFerra, who's now in charge of uh, dance music for William Morris, and was trying to get him for a residency. And then he pitched uh, actually me, hey, let's do this every weekend, do what, you know, quote unquote, call an Ibiza style residency, which is every week of the summer, which I hadn't thought of. So I went and again, the money was 
insignificant in today's numbers, but was very significant in those numbers because excess at that time was so popular and they were paying DJs a thousand dollars and they were doing record revenues. So kind of Victor Dre's approach was you don't need this, but I knew that if we were going to compete with a wet Republican the day and then B flip the club really with the same venue, just a little box on the inside that we need a program. So then after I went, I pitched Cascade. Then similarly, I went to Steve Aoki and I asked him if he'd be the music director of Surrender, which is to say that he'd have a year round residency, help us curate, you know, Friday nights at Surrender. And although we weren't doing it every day, at, you know, it wasn't always a superstar talent or a DJ, because we were kind of in that initial first wave, uh, Steve quickly saw the results and it was the first time that really a club had dented excess on a Friday night. And that was with Steve Aoki. And so once Steve Wynn started seeing kind of the attendance in a part of the hotel that was off the beaten path, then he started giving uh, a lot more leeway into being able to spend money. And then, you know, then the really the big moment was when Jesse Waits at that time, Victor was no longer at the win, and Jesse was uh, there, uh, you know, kind of on the excess and Trish side. We got together because what at that point in time found was that people didn't want to play Surrender as much. They wanted to play excess, but they did want to play Encore Beach Club. So when we kind of combined forces and we could put in offers that used all the venues and used the power of the resort in its totality, that's when we really kind of in that next year around 2011-12 captured the lion's share of the marketplace. Were you prepared at that point for the obviously the salaries that are paid to DJs right now, but also the amount of money that gets spent at day clubs and at night clubs when somebody decides they want a cabana? I mean, I think people who are out of market would be blown away by what cabana minimums can be in this town, right? And how much money gets spent. And I think that that idea of, you know, would EDM kids, you know, be able to spend that money or would EDM appeal to a much larger audience? So were you surprised? And was there ever any kind of, um, I guess, clash between the customers that patronized Wynn and the customers that patronized Wynn's clubs? You know, the Wynn... Because Wynn owns everything, typically, you know, and we really worked with all forms of the hotel to try to make it as seamless of an experience as possible. I'll give you an example. Excess used to line up in front of stores. And so where the queue is right now for if you were to be looking at the club left and right, those are all retail stores. So, you know, Steve at that time ended up blowing out all the retail stores and taking the lines on the inside versus in the walkways. So the walkways wouldn't be so congested. So there was always a tension amongst those customers, but you're in Las Vegas. And actually, as time went on, I feel like just like going to a show or maybe a steakhouse or kind of some of the check the box moments, nightclubs um, acquiesced into a category of, even if I'm maybe not the target demo of a nightclub, I still want to be able to go home to Kansas City and say I saw somebody at a big Las Vegas nightclub. So once you put people who have uh, discretionary income in, who are in there, you know, uh, the age at which they can spend maybe five thousand bucks or two thousand dollars or whatever it might be, that that really catapulted that check average, 
And the other thing that you know made the model work was the uh, proliferation of ticketed websites. So really, nightclubs had never had. Nightclubs were about exclusivity. And it was about, can I get in? And when you're filling 5,000 room uh, nightclubs on a nightly basis, it's not about ex- exclusivity, it's about inclusivity because really I have to be able to depend on a base that comes out of the quote unquote gate or the cover charge. So all of the, all, the convergence of technology with kind of the stigmatisms of nightclubs being mainstream and not a dirty business, all of that kind of happened. And then, you know, I just remember our first, one of our Saturdays that we did over a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue in 2010 at Encore Beach Club. And I, I, was, I was happy because we were making money. And then I just remember years later, all of a sudden we're doing a million dollars every Saturday. And it went, you know, pretty quickly. And that was driven by the uh, need, really, to pay for escalating artist uh, guarantees. It is funny. I mean, I remember I was writing a story about the history of the day clubs for the Review Journal a few years ago when I was interviewing um, Chad Palace, And he was telling me that when he started rehab, I think it was like if they could get the bar tab by the pool for the entire summer – Right for to to total a hundred thousand dollars, Peter Morton was going to be happy, right? Like if they could do ten thousand a week, that was considered amazing. And now that's a cabana minimum at a lot of places, you know. So it's it's nuts. Let's flash forward then. Carver Road Hospitality Forms. Carver Steak in Resorts World was the first, right? Actually, we did Flanker in Salt Lake City, which is right next to the Vivint Arena, um, where the Utah Jazz play. We opened that on December eighth of. 2021 and then on december 29th of 2021 we opened carver steak so first one in las vegas okay so first one in las vegas and um you brought in one of the one of my favorite chefs you brought in daniel antiveros to to run the place you've got an amazing team over there um i know steve geddes is over there um you know just people that have been in this industry for such a long time right and uh, what was your goal with creating a a new steakhouse and a modern steakhouse in Las Vegas? And I, I, when I say your goal, I feel like Las Vegas has some of the best – every steakhouse in Las Vegas would probably be one of the top five steakhouses in most other cities. So the ones that really stand out are the ones that kind of create some kind of identity. They're a little different. You go to Circus Circus if you want an old Vegas experience. You know, you would go to STK if you wanted a nightclub kind of experience and, and on and on and on. Um, what was the niche you were trying to fill with Carver Steak? Like like you said, you know, I felt like Vegas had – so, look, I worked at the Wynn. I sat and watched SW. And really, of course, the service and the food and all that, that's there. And, and you know, it's arguable to say who's better than another, and that's, in many cases, tomato, tomato, uh, uh, difference of opinion. But actually, I felt like at SW, what made it magical, aside from being in the hotel, was the Lake of Dreams and the show that integrated with – you know, the experience on the inside and, and it's, you know, it's tough to top when you look outside and there's this beautiful kind of pageantry pageantry happening in a five-star resort and a five-star experience. Um, to your point, I wanted to stay away from kind of the STK adrenaline, if you will, even though it's great, I've eaten there many times, but really wasn't trying to do kind of the, uh, the clubbier experience. But once you got out of those, it felt like there were, a lot of great traditional steakhouses 
that to your point, have great food, have five star experiences. But actually I spent a lot of time during in the pandemic at Barry's downtown. And A, I love the decor and I love the kind of mid-century modern, uh, you know, kind of design aesthetic of it. Always thought Barry and the team, you know, do a great job. And they had a personality with their own distinct vibe in music. So as we started thinking about the comp sets in the country that fit what we liked, art was really important. And we spent a lot of time on that. Uh, wanted to have kind of, I, I really like that mid-century modern, uh, you know, for us, we didn't want it to overwhelm the theme, if you will, but liked a lot of that aesthetic. And the other thing that was super important to us was having a major bar presence. So at Carver Steak, we have 36 bar seats because I feel like today's consumer, actually, if you give them a great bar to sit at and you offer a full menu, with a great chair that you can actually lounge for hours and hours and hours that that appeals to, especially if you're in a convention hotel, uh, a lot of people, including myself and corporate travelers. So, you know, we have a distinct music profile. We have a distinct decor. We've got a beautiful art program. And then it was about, you know, the talent, because as, as you know, if we don't have, Steve Geddes and his wife, Lindsay, you know, and we don't have Francesco and we don't have Chef Daniel and on and on and on pastry chefs and this and that. Nobody cares what it looks like if you're at a restaurant and there isn't good service, there isn't good food. So I feel like we're, you know, we tried to contemporize a classic steakhouse in our motif to set us apart, but that's also, uh, you know, kind of the way we looked at it. I looked at places like uh, Maple and Ash, uh, out of Chicago, Swift and Sons out of Chicago, a lot of great Chicago. You know, when I worked at Park MGM, Bavette's has a distinct personality. And I, I love Bavette's as well from a, you know, it's got a jazz overtone. It's dark. Martin Brodnitsky did it. The artwork is unique. So kind of just picked and choose things that fit our personality and then work with the designer to, you know, collaborate and dig out what that meant to us. Um. I'm assuming that you're happy with the way it's been received here in Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, we are thrilled with the results. We're happy that people come out to support. And, you know, uh, as Michael Mina say, one of my favorite qu quotes is restaurants either getting better every day or worse every day. So we're just trying to get better. So let's talk about flanker now. Now you have a flanker in, um, the first one was in Salt Lake City. And then the second one was in Arizona. Now you're bringing it to Mandalay. And this is a sports-themed bar restaurant experience. Tell people who may never have heard of Flanker yet what they should expect from it. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm assuming most people have not heard of Flanker because it's not nationally known. Uh, what I'll tell you, it's going to, you know, so Chef Daniel's doing the menu. He's helming the kitchen again. Um, you know, Francesco's taking care of the cocktail programs. It's everything you would expect it to be in terms of the menu. So we have things like we have extensive hamburger, you know, hamburger cheeseburgers with all different types of um, interesting ways of presenting it, whether it's a smash burger or Western burger or turkey burger. Um, and we have, you know, a seven figure budget related to uh, audio visual. So screens and TVs. I think that, you know, a lot of times where people go wrong related to, you know, a sports centric environment is that they feel like it's always has to have sports on it. 
but meanwhile, if you're on the West Coast after 10 o'clock at night, actually, sports are primarily over. And so coming up with creative ways to use that technology to enhance the environment is really important. And, yeah, and for example, um, you have a you have a private karaoke suite, right? That can be used for game viewing, but then can be transfer, transformed over into a karaoke thing at night. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, we have one, you know, we call it a karaoke private dining room. So it's, it, you could actually sit there. It's got proper seating and proper tables so you can rent out. Um, you know, at Carver's Steak, we learned that people liked private dining spaces with personality. We have a knife room that has cool knives to look at and stuff. You can actually buy them on a QR code. In our other... Uh, private dining room that work together. It can either be 20 or 40 seats, but we have a whiskey presentation in there. So again, people can look at it, interact. So that was our idea on karaoke. And it also flips and it's set up in a way that, you know, on the weekends, we're going to stay late in the bar and lounge area and close the rest of, uh, you know, the restaurant, maybe post 11 PM when business levels drop on the weekends. So that's kind of part of our late night presentation which is, again, it really just wants to be, if you go to a great city and you go to a bar, you know, that is playing great music and is playing the Rolling, St- you know, Rolling Stones and, you know, you've got a great, great beverage program and you can get beers. We have, we have food on the weekends till two in the morning. You know, that's the type of place that I now want to go to, but I, I want to be able to eat too. So, I mean, again, what we're trying to do is take the stigmatism away from sports bar. Um, you know, we say kitchen and sports bar because actually we're hoping that people come and want to come for the food and the service during dinner as maybe a replacement for something else. So you, you can get an awesome meal and elevate kind of that traditional American, uh, you know, kind of experience, if you will. So something for everybody, even when you're not there to watch a game. But location-wise, it seems to be perfectly suited for game day, especially game day at Allegiant Stadium. And for those who don't know, this is the um, one of the floors of the old RMC food space in Mandalay Place. Um, and, of course, there's this space that has now been set up as the NFL fan zone out there. And you're right off of that. So people that are kind of walking from the strip down Tropic or down what, Mandalay Bay Drive, yeah, right, um, which turns into Hacienda, I guess. Right. If you're walking down that street on your way to Allegiant Stadium, they're walking right past you. So what's that whole game day experience going to be like? Well, look, Las Vegas is about excitement, no matter what. You know, I think that the Golden Knights showed us what the possibility of a halftime show could be. I think the Raiders also, with even things like the Wynn Field Club and all of the interactivity that goes on during games has showed us what the opportunity is during these exciting events. They're not static. And so the game day experience is going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. You know, we'll have DJs on our patio so that the passers by, um, in our press release, we've got a takeout window. So people who don't want to, you know, necessarily come into the restaurant and get a drink or sit down and get a game day meal. I mean, what we learned in Salt Lake city and at the Arizona Cardinal stadium is actually what people care about before a game, at least, is can you get me in and out quick with a good meal? You know, so that's super important. And then after, uh, because when you walk back in off of uh, Mandalay Bay Drive, we have a tremendous amount of people walking into 
uh, Mandalay Bay through an escalator. That seems to be the primary way that people get in and out of the hotel to get to the stadium. So then it's about, okay, how do we create some, you know, fun and energy in a safe way that kind of appeals to the masses? So, you know, um, if again, if you saw the renderings, we've got a fun ceiling feature that was inspired by the F1 Grand Prix track at night that I think gives a little bit of energy and excitement. And again, you're going to see a lot of art activity. You're going to see fun, interactive uh, use of our screens and have sports, DJs. We could have live music here and there. And Las Vegas is always about programming. So having the right activity going on after whatever that event might be, whether it's Beyonce or Metallica or whatever is on the schedule for Legion Stadium, speaking to the audience that's, you know, kind of walking by us is the side that comes from probably the nightlife side of things that we have in our DNA. And how easy will the access actually be from Mandalay Bay Place, that Hacienda stroll? Like, how will they get from, you know, walking down that street inside to get to you? Because there wasn't really direct access before. Yeah, there wasn't. So what uh, Mandalay Bay and MGM Resorts did is they uh, created a vestibule and a beautiful escalator that we're perpendicular. We're at the entrance of Allegiant Stadium. So you go through two sliding glass doors and then you go up and down to get on to Mandalay Bay Drive. So they close on event days. They close the entire street and people walk over. So the primary, you know, entrance and exit into Mandalay Bay is literally at our front door. And what we have found is that, and what Mandalay Bay has learned, you know, a lot <clears throat> through the time that Allegiant Stadium has been there is people come early. They come about two hours to an hour and a half early and they don't want to deal with traffic. So they'll come to Mandalay, look for a place to eat or drink or meet, and then use that as their point after. So really just like a lot of stadiums, you kind of need a place to let traffic before and after subside. And, you know, we feel like we're at the uh, ground zero of that point. And your opening is coinciding. I guess there's always a major sporting event that, that'll be cool. I mean, I know there's, um, there's a soccer thing going on. CONCAF soccer is going to be happening at Allegiant Stadium. And even though it's happening in Canada, I you saw that you were promoting already that UFC is happening shortly after you open. So are you guys going to be doing, you know, large watch events for things like UFC? Yeah, so, again, when... Uh, the team that I headed up at MGM and the events and nightlife division, we ran and operated uh, what was Moneyline at Park MGM, which is now BetMGM. They've changed all of those to BetMGMs. But we did UFC activations where we'd show the UFC events and, you know, you, you go for a three or four hour experience. So it just so happens that on our grand opening day, there is a UFC event and fight. And we'll do that same type of program where the every single TV in the venue becomes UFC. You reserve seats. There'll still be availability and walk up for people. You know, there's no cover charge, although to sit at the tables, we do a variety of packages and things like that. And, uh, you know, especially in Las Vegas, but the UFC and pay-per-view fights and things are so popular as an entertainment option in town that you know, we're fortunate that we get to open with it on night one. And I think that the UFC, again, we have a great relationship with them. We actually did the official after party in New York City when they were there. And we actually did the, um, at Star Child, our rooftop in New York, and we actually did the official after party with the UFC in Salt Lake City in August. 
So just trying to continue that relationship with the customers, the company, and everybody else who just enjoys going to it. So we talked about the food. We talked a bit about the kind of racetrack lighting inspired by F1 on the top. I think you have, I'm trying to think other things we want to hit on. Um, five separate seating areas, five distinct seating areas, a 30-foot screen. What, what else should people know about this place? Yeah, you know, on the backside of, you know, if you were to walk out our back door, you'd see, again, that, that driveway, but the back of house entrance to it. And there was a shed that Rick Moonen had his uh, water filtration system that fed both floors. We were, as part of what we did is we ripped that out. We made that a beer cooler. So we actually have 40 handles in the restaurant. So Francesco has been working diligently to make sure that we have kind of an amazing program. Um, you know, back in the day, of course, Burger Bar with Chef Keller had probably one of the better kind of beer programs yeah, in town. It was incredible. So we kind of took inspiration from, okay, what did work and what could work? Um, you know, craft beers and beers have been exploding in America in general in the town. You can see that with all of the kind of, especially here in the Arch District, you know, you see a lot of local brewers. So bring in local brewers. So we'll have uh, over 85 different brands of beer, 40 coming off the tap. And, you know, like I said, I think that we're going to try to buck the trend and be local friendly in Mandalay Bay, which maybe isn't necessarily known you know, for that. Um, but our company always takes care of locals, always takes care of industry people. So trying to create that kind of uh, after work culture for those people as well. But we got a great uh, PDR. So we got an, uh, another private dining room that has three compartments. So it could be 20, 40 or 63 bays that can work together or work individually. So, you know, again, uh, just we're trying to speak to the audience that's there and then have a bunch of different environments so that as people come back, you can kind of find what suits you. Because again, at Mandalay Bay, they're the home of the aces. They're the home of the lacrosse team. They have Michelob Ultra Arena. They have Allegiant Stadium. Behind us is the Michael Jackson Theater. To the right of us is the sports book. In front of us is the House of Blues. Uh, in front of us is the Luxor Escalator to get to Luxor and Excalibur. So Really just trying to, if, if we have enough and we do it well enough, we, you know, we're hoping to capture kind of everybody and be approachable and ac accessible. So when is opening day? June 10th. We've got a, uh, you know, because we've got a lot of green. Uh, a flanker is originated from a rugby term. And all of our actually fonts and things like that are taken off of rugby jerseys because it's kind of uh, didn't want to box ourselves into football or soccer or anything. So on June 9th, we've got our green carpet opening, uh, kind of a funny way of red carpet, but green carpet opening for the press and for notable people. Hopefully you'll be there. And then June 10th for the public. Sounds great, man. Well, thanks a lot for taking some time to chat with me today. Thank you very much. We are all over social media. Just search for Food and Loathing or reach Al directly, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And where am I these days? What am I doing? Most important, what am I eating, cooking, and learning? Find out anytime at wishboneandvine.com. One more time, that's info at foodandloathing.vegas. And my site, wishboneandvine.com. It is time for the news. And news you shall have. This podcast will be released on Friday, May 5th, also known as Cinco de Mayo. And if you want to party, either on Friday or throughout the weekend, I've got a few spots to tell you about. 
Taco Tarian, which of course is a vegan restaurant, Mexican restaurant with four locations here in Las Vegas. They will offer a free Dorado, which is kind of a fried potato taco, mm-hmm. to the first 100 customers at each location on Friday. They'll also have a DJ and buy one, get one margaritas from 5 to 9 p.m. at yeah, the Blue Diamond location. Uh, Viva by Ray Garcia and Resorts World will celebrate the holiday with a mariachi band and a DJ on Friday night on their patio. Cabo Wabo Cantina is hosting parties on Friday and Saturday evenings. I love that spot. It's great to kind of people watch everybody walking by on the strip from yeah. the patio there at the Miracle Mile shops. They're going to have drink specials. They're going to have um, Mexican shrimp cocktail specials. So that's Friday and Saturday night at Cabo Wabo. And Border Grill has drink specials all weekend with a mariachi band Friday night and Saturday afternoon during brunch. Saturday, I believe the mariachi is there from noon to 2. And finally, as um, Chef Carlos Cruz Santos explains, China Poblano's Tequila Mezcal Festival runs through Sunday. It's just all about celebrating tequila and mezcal. We try to bring in brands that nobody else has and and product that is unique to us. And um, we just kind of build a little festival around it with uh, a couple of dishes here and there, a cocktail or two, and some flights. Iron Chef Masaharo Morimoto will host an exclusive six-course omakase dinner on Thursday, May 18th at his eponymous MGM Grand Restaurant. So, yes, the man will be in the house. Wow. I have Ooh. had him cook for me personally, and, man, it is one of my greatest foodie experiences ever. Um, various seatings will be available for this dinner on May 18th uh, between 5.30 and 7.30, and it has a price tag of a cool 1000 bucks. Whoa, baby. But that does include a wine and sake pair and some great food. Um, running down the menu, there's some seared foie gras with seafoam candy, petrosian caviar with snow crab for course two, toro tartare for course three, grilled live scallops in at number four, Japanese A5 wagyu and langoustines as the f- fifth course, and then a selection of sushi. And you know the sushi is going to be great oh, if you're eating yeah. at Morimoto. Whoa, love it. Well, like I promised earlier, I had to tell you, Bulldogies has breakfast. Oh. It is a beloved valley. So it mixes hot dogs and kimchi. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. So and it's what, eggs? Well, so it's known for its hot dogs. It's known for Korean-based uh, flavors while doing these really fancy hot dogs. It's located in the Village Square Center um, at Sahara and Fort Apache. It's it's closer to the Chicago brewing side of things. So we you, did the show there once. Oh, there you go. Yes. Before, before me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they posted on social media that they were doing these things called egg drops. So we were able to order over the phone because the the computer uh, on their website wouldn't let us order before <laughs> 11 a.m. Even though they had promised they were now open Monday through Saturday, starting at nine. So that's another two hours every day. Um, so we uh, ordered the pork belly egg drop, the bulgogi egg drop, and the American breakfast sausage egg drop. And the two standouts were definitely the pork belly and the bulgogi. The first one had a nice kick to it. The pork belly was well-cured, well-cooked, melty, but with just a little bit of chew and char where you needed it. And the bulgogi had a great little chew on it. Um, and that one was more of like a sweet and a spicy. And all the sandwiches come on this super buttery brioche that the outside is turned into like garlic toast and it is called an egg drop because the bread is a huge piece of bread that they slice and drop everything into the middle Mm -hmm. so it's not really two pieces of bread it's kind of like a a pocket kind of thing (laughs) and shades of the old uh chowder in the sourdough 
dough yeah, and push it super super soft eggs, um, but not like runny to to for people who are are weird about their eggs. See, I was thinking like a toad in the hole. Yeah, kind oh, of. Yeah, yeah right. you're getting there. Um, they also offer a bacon one, and they offer one called ETC, which is eggs, tots, and cheese. And like I said, they're all made with cheddar cheese, soft scrambled eggs, secret sauce, and that brioche. Um, they also offer offer excuse me breakfast tots with a kind with all kinds of goodies on them and a fried egg. So to enjoy these for breakfast, Bulldoggies is now open for, at 9 a.m. Monday through Saturday, located, like I said, at Village Square at Sahara and Fort Apache. And you can order directly through their website at B-U-L-D-O-G-I-S dot com. It's a bull. It's a dog. It's possessive. It's dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Uh, Subway. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I dug this uh, hole for myself, so I guess I have to try to climb out of it here. A uh, number of Subway sandwich shops around the U.S. has dropped by nearly 600 wow. last year. And I have shed no tears. Uh, yeah. They finished 2022 <laughs> with about 20,000 stores, a net drop of 570. Uh, they attribute uh, a large number of closings in recent years to overexpansion, outdated operations, uh, old decor, uh, they also blame stale menus, which are being revamped to the tune of how many millions of dollars for Tom Brady and Steph Curry <laughs> and uh, Charles Barkley and all those folks. Uh, also, the $5 footlong deal is apparently not a deal if you're the owner of a subway. Right. Your profit on that's like five cents. And so I uh, know it's a rumor, but I'm still going to put it out there because there was tests done. You know, The yoga gonna, mat bread? The yoga mat bread. <laughs> and the, the tuna the that may or may not be good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, has anybody done that to a can of Starkist? Because it <laughs> is also processed. <laughs> I can guarantee you Starkist, if you ran a genetic test on it, you would not be finding tuna. No, no, yeah. no. You're it's probably finding like mahi anyway. or something. It's a mayonnaise <laughs> delivery device. Can't we just hate Subway purely because the food sucks. Yes, Isn't absolutely. That a good enough reason I'm to fine with Subway, that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you don't give away five dollar foot long shit. Like, let's not get caught in this vicious cycle of let's make it cheaper and bigger. Let's make it worse yeah. because it has to be cheaper. And more bigger. American. Make oh it God. More and people will get fatter. Yeah. It's uh, like this fucking going down the drain of yeah. humanity, man. We're spiraling. <sighs> Yes. On the other end of the spectrum, Carver Steaks, <laughs> Carver Steak at Resorts World is rolling out some new spring menu items this weekend, and we mm. have Chef Daniel Ontiveros to talk about it. We have our new uh, spring menu items. Uh, we have a nice, beautiful Hudson Valley duck breast um, seared with uh, cherries and some spring, um, some spring vegetables, morels, and things like that. Uh, we also have a roasted bone marrow with a beautiful bacon onion jam, some grilled bread. Um, we also have seared scallops with a spring onion foam with baby leeks and baby artichokes as well. Um, and a beautiful uh, strawberry salad, Harry's Berry strawberry salad with beets and uh, burrata goat cheese and things like that. And with that, we are just about done for the day. Big thanks to everybody who came on the show this week. Sean Christie, Sean McLean, Daniel Ontiveros, Luke Paladino. Thank you all for um, coming out. Uh, what do we got coming on next week? I can't even we remember. We have to start talking about Mother's Day because people are going to start booking. So Ooh, next yeah. week I'm going to have a list. The most hated day in the restaurant business. <laughs> yeah. They're the worst day to dine out, too, because the, let's give etiquette rules to all these yeah. moms. Right. Keep, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking the a mom friend out, but we're not doing the brunchy thing. We're going for lunch 
lunch somewhere. Let's deliver 20 covers all at once. Right. Ah. No, no, we're keeping it. Is she bringing her kids, though? No, 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 yeah, no, no. She's older. Her, her daughter and I went to school, like, you know, yeah. 40 years ago or something like that. So Okay, so we'll talk yeah. Mother's Day a little bit next yeah. week. I'm also trying to get some folks on from Three Square for next week. Oh, that would be that'll great. that'll happen. And that is about it. So with Samantha with Samantha Gemini <laughs> Stevens and Rich Johnson. I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. <laughs> <laughs>